He's not Vishnu Tattva, he's Shiva Tattva. He's changed just like milk is changed into yogurt. So he's a controller, he's an enjoyer, but he enjoys the material energy, not the spiritual energy, and he's the lord of false ego. It's <laughs> the principle of false ego. So we're going to look at Lord Shiva's qualities. This is the description from the Brihad Bhagavatamrita. And he has a fair complexion. Often you see Shiva dark, but that's because he's covered with ashes. Actually, he's a very fair complexion. He has three eyes. Right? He has one eye in the Agir Chakra for omniscience. He has a half moon on his head, and I haven't found anybody who, who can explain to me why Shiva has a half moon on his head. If you know, that would be very nice. He holds a trident, and the Ganga is on his hair. We'll talk about that a little later. He smears his body with the ashes of the bodies of departed Vaishnavas and the glorious bones from the bodies of departed Vaishnavas. He's a master of the senses. So he's a master of karma. He's a master of jnana. He's the friend of everyone. And Mansan Shiva is the father of the world. When it says that Lord Vishnu glances at the material energy, that glance is Shiva. And that glance is also time. Prabhupada says, when Krishna says, time I am in the Bhagavad Gita, that is Lord Shiva. So it's called Shiva, which means auspicious. And Gauri, the goddess of the material energy, sits on his lap. And he has, of course, famous children, Ganesh, and now his picture, Kartikeya, and his bull, Nandi. And uh, although he's also a controller, still he's devoted to Krishna. And he's often singing and dancing to glorify Krishna. Especially he worships Sesha or Sankarsana. So we're going to tell some of the stories of Lord Shiva. This is, these are all from the Bhagavatam. So at one time when the demigods had been conquered by the demons over and over again, they went to Lord Vishnu, who suggested that they declare a truce and that they asked the demons to cooperate with them to churn the ocean of milk to get immortal nectar that could then be shared by everyone. So taking this instruction very seriously, the demigods went to the demons and said, let's do this. They all agreed. And they carried Mandara Mountain, a huge gold mountain, to the ocean of milk. Actually, they couldn't carry it very far. It slipped, and Lord Vishnu had to come and carry it for him. And they brought it to the ocean of milk, and there in the ocean of milk, Vasuki, the big snake Vasuki, was a church would act as the rope around this golden mountain for the demigods and the demons to churn it. First they were churning this mountain, but the mountain fell into the milk, and then the Lord came as Korma under the mountain to hold it up. And what was really interesting is that uh, first Lord Vishnu went to pull the head of the snake, but the demons were insulted, and they said, we should be pulling the head of the snake. So Lord Vishnu said, fine. And he just walked, left the head, and he went over to the tail, and all the demigods followed him. 
So then the demons took the head of the snake. But this wasn't an ordinary snake, and he's breathing out smoke and fire. So the demons got covered with smoke and fire. But they didn't want to complain because they had already <laughs> they had already said they wanted the head, so then they were stuck. So they're churning and churning, and they want to churn out the nectar, but the first thing that comes is this hollow poison. And Lord Vishnu said, well, let's go to Lord Shiva and ask him to solve the problem. So everyone went to Lord Shiva and they prayed for him, please come and solve the problem. Of course, Lord Vishnu could have solved the problem, but the Lord likes his devotees to be glorified. Just even ordinary parents, they're more interested that their children get glorified. So Lord Vishnu also feels like, like this. So Lord Shiva came because he's dedicated to the welfare of everyone. He's very compassionate. And all he thinks about is helping others. So he came and took the whole ocean of poison and he drank it, at which time it made a blue line on his throat. So for us, if we drank even a little bit of poison, we'd get sick or we'd die, but for Lord Shiva, it just becomes an ornament. So he's called blue-throated one because of this blue line from the poison. And some of the poison dropped, and you can see some of the uh, creatures there. You see some of the snakes there, so they, they took that poison and became poisonous creatures. So also the Bhagavatam talks about how the demons one time made three flying cities. And these three flying cities were attacking the earth planet and they were destroying the earth planet. And Lord Shiva was known as the destroyer of these cities. So sometimes there's science fiction has stories about some spaceship that attacks the earth that actually happened. And Lord Shiva turned those flying cities of the demons into ashes. So, also one time, there was a girl named Usha. She was the daughter of Banasura, and Banasura was a great devotee of Lord Shiva. He had pleased Lord Shiva, who given him a thousand arms. And, and then he complained to Lord Shiva, you've given me these thousand arms, I don't know what to do with the thousand arms, what do I do with them? I feel like I want to fight with somebody with my arms, with demons, you know? If they have some opulence, they want to use it to hurt others. They don't want to use it to benefit others. He said, I'm looking for someone to fight with, but with my thousand arms, I can defeat everybody, so that's no fun. I want a, I want a real challenging adversary. He said, otherwise I just tear up mountains in my frustration. So, what Jesus says, you're an idiot, you're a fool, and pretty soon you'll find somebody who will defeat you and cut down your pride. And he said, oh, very nice. <laughs> he was looking forward to losing his opulence. <laughs> so anyway, his daughter, Usha, she one time had a dream of Krishna's grandson, Aniruddha. And she dreamed that she was with him, and they were embracing and kissing. And she woke up and saying, oh, where are you, my dear love? And so her girlfriend heard this and said, we don't know any boys. You know, we're young girls and we're in the palace and we don't know any boys. Who are you talking about? 
And she said, well, I had this dream. And so this friend of hers, Chitralega, was a mystic yogini. And so she was able to draw pictures of all the men in the universe. And she was obviously dreaming very fast because there's a lot of men in the universe. And I wish she didn't become an old lady during this time. And so she was drawing these pictures and then Rusha saw Krishna's picture and she was interested and she saw Prajuna's picture and she became a little bashful because actually he was going to be her future father-in-law and then when she saw Anuruddha's picture she just got really shy. Oh, that's the one. That's the boy I saw in my dream. So Chitraleka went at night to Dwarka and kidnapped Anuruddha which is pretty amazing because even Mahavishnu uh, had a hard time getting to Dwarka to steal the Brahmin's children. He had to come personally so that some ordinary yogini could come to Dwarka and take Aniruddha. Obviously, it was the will of the Lord. So Chitralaya kidnapped Aniruddha and took him while he was asleep, and then he woke up in Usha's chambers. Who are you? <laughs> You know, and she was very, she was young and beautiful, and she was in love with him, and she served him very nicely. And after a while, he got so enchanted by her that he forgot that he ever had any other home. He just, just became completely enamored by her. And then at a certain point, the guards in the palace went to Manasura, and they said, it's rather obvious that your daughter is consorting with a man. We have no idea how we got into the palace, but uh, there's a problem here. And so Vanasura went personally into the palace. And then he saw that Aniruddha, first of all, he saw that Aniruddha was very beautiful because Prajumna is Cupid. And of course, Krishna is Krishna. <laughs> so if you're the grandson of Krishna, you're going to be rather handsome. And he was very, not only handsome, but very strong, that he was a worthy match for his daughter. But although he saw Aniruddha was a worthy match for his daughter, he didn't like the way it was done. I'm sure he would have approved of the marriage, but he didn't like it that this guy just comes into his uh, palace and is consorting with his daughter. So he starts battling with Aniruddha, and Aniruddha is fighting, and eventually Manasura had a mystic noose, and he arrested Aniruddha with this noose and imprisoned him. So meanwhile, uh, you know, back in Dwarka, Aniruddha was just missing, you know. Like one of those stories you read about in the news where somebody just, they wake up in the morning and somebody's been kidnapped from their bedroom, right? So Aniruddha was missing and they were looking all over for him and finally Narayamuni came and he said, this is what happened and Aniruddha is now in Banasura's kingdom and he's imprisoned. So the Yadus were very angry. You know, what right do you have to kidnap our member and, and then imprison him? It wasn't his fault. So they went with their army and because Banasura was a devotee of Lord Shiva, so he asked Lord Shiva to help him. So there was this fight, although Shiva is a devotee of Krishna, there was this fight where Shiva was on one side and Krishna was on the other. And it was amazing. Fight Kartikeya, of course, was there in Ganeshan. And there was this huge fight between Shiva and Krishna. And one of the benedictions is that if one remembers the details of this fight, then he'll never be defeated. So if you're ever in some kind of a difficult situation and you want to be victorious and you can remember this pastime. Now, uh, Krishna defeated Lord Shiva during the fight by throwing a yawning weapon at him. So today our, our weapons are basically, almost all of them are just fire weapons, 
right? All the modern weapons, from the nuclear weapons to guns, and they're all considered fire weapons. We don't really have very sophisticated weapons, although we also do have some um, disease weapons, right? We have biological warfare, which has been outlawed. Um, we have some poisons, some poison weapons, and some disease weapons. But in former times, they had all kinds of weapons. So they had water weapons, they had wind weapons, and they also had yawning weapons. They had weapons that would make you feel tired. So Arjuna used a yawning weapon at the Battle of Virat. So Krishna drew this yawning weapon at Lord Shiva, and Lord Shiva just became tired and he couldn't fight anymore. <laughs> and then Lord Shiva sent this weapon, the Shivajwara. The Shivajwara is uh, extreme heat because Lord Shiva is in charge of destruction. And here you can see there's Shiva in the picture, right here. There's Krishna. And this is the Shivajwara, the heat weapon. And the Shivajwara is used when the whole material universe is going to be destroyed, when it's going to be burned. So the Shivajwara came and he was burning everything on the battlefield. And then Krishna released his Narayanajwara, which was a cold weapon. It was you know, extreme cold. And the extreme cold conquered the extreme heat. And at this time, the Shivajwara, he was, he was going to die. And it's interestingly enough, instead of going to his master, Lord Shiva, he went to Krishna. And he prayed to Krishna, please save me from this, uh, from this devastation. So at that time, Krishna gave him shelter and said, you know, you no longer have any fear. And then Krishna fought with Banasura and he cut off all but four of his hands. So he cut off, how many hands did he cut off? 9,000... 996 hands. And he left Manasur with four. And the Lord Shiva came to Krishna and said, please don't kill my devotee. And Krishna says, no, I won't kill him. In fact, I'll let him live for the duration of the universe and he won't have any, any fear or any difficulty. So another very nice story is that of Vrikasur. Vrikasur was a demon. And he went to Narada Muni and he said, who will be pleased the most quickly? One of the things that we need in bhakti is patience, enthusiasm, patience, and confidence. So Virkasura said, no, I don't have any patience. Give me something fast. So this is the general mood of the mode of ignorance. Someone in the mode of goodness is very determined. Someone in the mode of goodness is determined in success or failure. Someone in the mode of passion can be very, very determined if they have a good idea they're going to be successful, but if, some, if they think they're going to be a failure, someone in the mode of passion loses their determination. Someone in the mode of ignorance has very little determination. Uh, in the mode of ignorance, they just like, oh, I'll do it someday. Prabhupada says something that can be done in an hour, they take, put off for years. And they hardly even want to get out of bed, they just dream and imagine of what they're going to do. They want things very easy and very fast. So Vigasura wanted something easy and fast, and Narada says, oh well, if you want something easy and fast, then you should go to Lord Shiva, because he's very easily pleased. So Vigasura was offering oblations into the fire, and Lord Shiva didn't personally show up. And Prabhupada mentions there that when devotees serve Krishna, they're confident that Krishna's receiving the offering. He doesn't have to personally come in front of them. They have that faith. 
But this demon, he didn't have that faith. He thought, I don't know if Lord Shiva is actually accepting my offerings. And he thought, well, I'm going to do something extreme. So Lord Shiva shows up. So he ended up offering parts of his body into the fire. And this is also indicative of the mode of ignorance. The mode of ignorance, a person does austerities that are not in the scripture and that are harmful to themselves and others. So he was hard. We, whatever austerities we do for Krishna should not be harming ourselves. So the Srikasura was cutting off pieces of his body and throwing them into the fire. And still Lord Shiva didn't appear. And he thought, the guy was, he was really stupid. I mean, he was extremely, extremely stupid. So he thought, well, I'll offer my head into the fire. Now, what use would that be? I mean, if you offer your head into the fire, then you're not going to be there to get your benediction. Even if Lord Shiva shows up, you won't be there. Right? So it's just it's really no sense. So he starts to prepare himself as if he'd prepare a sacrificial animal. And he's about to cut off his head. And then Lord Shiva comes. And Prabhupada explains it. I mean, if you met some devotee, and I have actually met devotees who say that they've met Lord Shiva, but if you met some devotee and they said, you know, I, I saw Lord Shiva, you'd be really impressed, right? you think, wow, he must be a really elevated, really special person to meet Lord Shiva. So we might think that this Vrikasura was a very exalted person because Lord Shiva personally came. Prabhupada says, that's not true. He said, anybody would help someone who was trying to commit suicide. That's just natural. You know, if you see somebody trying to commit suicide, even if they're a stranger, right? If you're driving down the road, you see somebody's going to jump off a bridge, you don't just keep driving. Even if you don't know the person, you stop and help. So he said, this, is, this was just ordinary. Anybody would do it. So the Jiva comes, he says, stop, stop, stop. Don't, don't kill yourself, don't kill yourself. What do you want, what do you want? And... You know, the way these personalities work, the way the demigods work, is when they say something, they really mean it. Like when Kunti said to her sons, oh, whatever you've brought, you should share. And then when she saw that it was Draupadi, she said, oh, no, I've, I've said, whatever you brought, you should share. I've never lied in my life. So if you don't share her, you'll make me a liar. I mean, we don't have this kind of standard of truthfulness now, do we? I mean, there's no way. We, none of us would act like this. We would, we would just say, oh, I, I didn't know, forget it, right? We wouldn't say, oh, I have to be so truthful that now we have to share. <laughs> so that was the, their standard of truthfulness. So Lord Shiva, he just said, you know, well, what do you want? What do you want? Whatever you want, just give me whatever you want. Just don't kill yourself. So then he had to give him whatever he wanted. And Vrikas sort of said, well, what I would like is I like that if there's if I want to kill somebody, all I have to do is touch their head, and their head will crack. So this was a really, again, a really just stupid. Reminds me of the story of Midas. You know the story of Midas? Where he asked, asked for this blessing, whatever he touched would turn to gold. And then his food turned into gold, and his daughter turned into gold. <laughs> you know, he couldn't eat anymore. <laughs> couldn't drink water, he touched the water, turned into gold. So it's kind of like that. I mean, would you really want to have a benediction that if you touched anyone's head, you'd kill them? I mean, it would make life a little awkward, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be able to comb your hair. Right? I mean, it, would, it, it just it really wasn't a very thoughtful person. And then his idea was, 
that he wanted to enjoy Gory. He wanted to enjoy Derby Baby. Actually, all of us in the material world, we all want, that's what we all want. We all want to be the master of the material energy. Yes? And he's fine. He's fine. Is he bothering anybody? Anybody bothered? See? Don't worry about it. If he starts screaming, then you have to leave. But you could just let him crawl around and play. You know, it's funny. That's probably going to be me, like, in another 30, 40 years. Yes. We should be. Prabhupada said, all glories to the assembled devotees includes the children. There's no religious movement in the world that has endured without children. Any religious movement that preached 100% celibacy, the movement died. We cannot, we will not have a movement only with making converts from adults and have children. Alright, yes, enough of that. So, this Vigasura wanted Gore, that's what we all want. We all want to be masters of material energy. We all want material energy to be under our control. Isn't that what we want? We want our bodies to be under control, our minds to be under control, all the other people to be under control, the weather to be under our control, agriculture to be under. Isn't that what we all want? Yes? Yes, okay. So, but he, he wanted it very, in a very specific way, that he wanted to control the goddess Durga directly by killing her husband. As if, if he killed Lord Shiva, first of all, you couldn't kill Lord Shiva, Lord Shiva's eternal, but as if he, if he killed Lord Shiva, that Durga would agree to marry him. You know? <laughs> so, and then you also see the mentality of this demon. He's worshipping Shiva with the idea of killing him. So this is an extreme, this is the most extreme example of an ungrateful person. And sometimes they're ungrateful persons, you do something for them and they just ignore you. They don't even thank you, they just take you for granted. And then sometimes you do things to people and they hate you. I had an interesting experience when we were running a school that I, I noticed after a while that the parents who were the most problem for the school were also among the parents for whom we'd done the biggest favors. Now many people we did favors for were not problems, but everyone who was a problem, we had, you know, they had said, oh, can you change this rule for us? We have this problem. We would, we would make some adjustment for them. And I, I wondered about this. Why is it that everybody who really causes a problem for the school is somebody that we did something extra for. Now again, some people we did something extra for and they weren't problems, but everybody who was a problem, we'd done something extra for. And I couldn't understand it. And then I realized, if, if you owe somebody money and you don't have the money to pay them, do you want to see them? If somebody lends you money and you don't have the money to pay them back, do you want to see that person? No, you avoid them. Right? And sometimes you criticize them. This is the, the creditors. Nobody has sympathy for the creditors, right? So if we feel things are out of balance, if we feel that someone's really done us a favor more than we can do, then we, we, can, we sometimes can become very bitter towards them and even very hateful. 
It's like people, we can feel this resentment that I owe you something that I can't pay. So there are people like that, and sometimes people even injure those who help them. You know, so there are people who just ignore those who help them, and then there are people who hate those who help them, and then there are people who injure those who help them. And the worst, of course, is someone who injures those who help them, and that's this rigasura. This is called a guru-duri. Somebody who's your benefactor, and then you go to injure them. This is the, the worst category of ungrateful persons. So he's worshiping Lord Shiva with the idea of killing him. Okay. Can't really get worse than that in a relationship. So he started to, to go towards Lord Shiva to put his hand on Lord Shiva's head. And although Lord Shiva really can't be killed, still, because he'd given this benediction, he would have to respond to his own benediction. He was put in a very awkward situation where he'd have to undergo some sort of devastation in order to make his, his benediction truthful. So he started running away from this demon. And he started running all over the universe. And he's running past the, or flying, I suppose, he's flying past the planets of all the universal controllers. And they're just kind of watching. Because he's, I mean, well, Shiva is the most powerful demigod in the universe, although he's the son of Lord Rama. He's actually more powerful than Rama. So there was no question anybody else could help him. All the other demigods, you know, Chandra and, and Bayu and Varuna and Indra, they're just watching. And then he goes to the planet of Lord Vishnu in the universe, and he seeks shelter of Lord Vishnu. So, All right, I'll take care of you. So meanwhile, this demon must have not been an ordinary demon because he was also flying all over the universe. It wasn't just like our ordinary demons of the present time who just get up and say, there's no God, and things like that. So Lord Vishnu took the form of a student of Brahmachari who was a devotee of Lord Shiva. He had Rudraksha beads and Shiva Tilak. And he comes and sees this Virgasura and he says, oh, Come here and rest a while, son of Shikuni. And Rikasura thinks, oh, who is this who knows my father? Ah, oh, must be a friend of my family. Must be someone I can trust. Right? We all have this tendency to think that if somebody is from our family or our village or our country, that we can trust them. Right? We were just talking about that. So I, I noticed this when I was traveling in China where nobody speaks English. Like here in Slovenia, lots of people speak English, but China, nobody speaks English. I mean, nobody. They don't even say hello. You know, nothing. The only person who speaks English would be my translator. So when I was leaving the country, when I was in the airport, I heard some people speaking English, and they were speaking English with an American accent, and they were speaking English with a Northeastern American accent. And I got so excited. Here's some people from my part of the world. And it was funny. I went up to them and I was talking to them. And it, you could see we immediately felt, oh, I can trust these people, which was absurd. I mean, they were just strangers. I've often noticed this when traveling. If you're on a train, the people who are sitting in the same train car with you, they'll, they'll help you out. If you get off the train, you need some help. If people are in that same train car, they'll help you out more than just somebody in the station. Or the same if you're in an airplane. Anybody who is on the same flight, they'll come and help you out. And you feel, oh, these are my people. So we have this, this concept of, you know, my people. 
This was Arjunasthi on the battlefield, Swajan, not my people. So Vikasura thought, oh, this Vishnu is mighty, he's one of my people. So he was, he was open, he trusted him. And then Lord Vishnu says, you look kind of tired. Why don't you rest a while? He said, you know, you've got to take care of your body. So Prabhupada says the demons are especially really interested in taking care of their body. He said, you've got to take care of your body because it's only through your body that you can fulfill the desires of the mind. And Rikasura thought, yeah, I really should take care of my body. And he said, well, what, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you running all over the universe? What's your problem? Rikasura tells him the whole story. And then Lord Vishnu, who of course is the master of illusion and the master of speech, says to him, why do you trust Lord Shiva? I don't think, you know, Lord Shiva's been associated with ghosts and hobgoblins. He's not really very reliable. And I don't think this is a real benediction. I don't think it will work. You know, I think you're wasting your time trying to kill Lord Shiva. Why not, you know, before you kill Lord Shiva, again, the, the demon wasn't very smart in the first place. He said, before you kill Lord Shiva, why don't you test the benediction and see if it works? So you don't just bother chasing Shiva all over the universe. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, I'll test the benediction. You know, if he, again, if he was smart, he'd test it on some squirrel or something. But Lord Vishnu says, well, just test it on your own head. And you'll, you'll see, it won't work. And then you can, and that was really funny. But Vishnu says to him, test it on your own head. You'll see it won't work. And then you can kill this lying Lord Shiva. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> oh, and then, of course, he puts his hand in his head, and that's the end. So we have uh, Shiva married the daughter of Daksha. And in the beginning of the universe, Lord Brahma had children from, directly from his own body. And Daksha was one of these children. And Daksha had quite a number of daughters. And one of his daughters, he gave as a wife to Shiva. Shiva was also uh, born of Lord Brahma. And it was Brahma said to Daksha, you should give your daughter Shanti to Shiva. Uh, so... Daksha was very interested in karma conduct, and he was performing a great sacrifice. So at this sacrifice, of course, Shiva and Sati also attended. And Shiva was at the sacrifice, waiting for everything to begin. And as he was waiting for everything to begin, he went into a trance, and he was meditating on the Lord. So as you see, you know, just like you're waiting for a meeting to begin. So nowadays, if you're waiting for a meeting to begin, you pull out your um, mobile phone and start playing some game on the phone. If you're a devotee, maybe you pull out your java beats and start chanting. So Lord Shiva started meditating. And then Daksha came. He arrived later. And when he came, he was beautifully effulgent. And he was running the sacrifice. It was his sacrifice. So everybody stood up to receive him, except his father, of course, Lord Brahma, who greeted him but didn't stand up because he was his superior. Then Lord Shiva, in one sense, was his superior, being an, um, an elder son of Lord Brahma and being um, ontologically superior even to Lord Brahma. But because he had married Daksha's daughter, Sati, he was now Daksha's son-in-law. So in a sense, he was Daksha's junior. And Daksha certainly expected that Lord Shiva was going to stand up to receive him. But Lord Shiva was in a trance of meditation. 
and he didn't even really see Dakshan. He was already offering respects to all living entities. So Dakshan got very angry. And he decided that Lord Shiva was sitting down out of disrespect, rather than that Lord Shiva was sitting down because he was in a meditative trance. So many times we do this. We'll talk about this in our forgiveness lecture, that we assume that somebody's insulted us when really they haven't. You know, there's another story going on. So Dakshin didn't find out what the story He didn't say, Lord Shiva, um, what, what's happening here? And Lord Shiva might have said, oh, I was meditating, sorry, and then stood up, who knows, you know? But he didn't say that. He didn't say, what's, what's your side of the story? He just immediately started insulting Lord Shiva. And it was interesting, Dakshin starts his insults by saying, we are not speaking out of ignorance or envy. So that's a big um, indicator, right? If somebody starts saying, I'm not saying this out of envy, they probably are. <laughs> so that's how he starts off. He says, I'm not saying this out of ignorance or envy. But of course he was envious. How dare anybody not show respect to me? And then he just starts criticizing Shiva. He says, he's called auspicious, but actually he's inauspicious. Why does he cover himself with ashes and bones? Why does he hang around with ghosts and hobgoblins? I don't know why I ever married my daughter to him. You know, so these are the kind of things that go on in ordinary families, yes? Right? The, the everybody gets together for Christmas or something. <laughs> and, then, and then somebody doesn't respect somebody or somebody doesn't wear a suit and tie to dinner or somebody doesn't bring the right present and somebody gets insulted. Oh, I wish you'd never married my daughter, you low-class bombing. <laughs> and then there's a the whole family. So that happens even among the highest demigods of the universe. Even on the highest planets, they're having these sort of problems. So Jax was going on and on and on, insulting Lord Shiva, and at a certain point, Lord Shiva simply gets up and leaves. So he doesn't respond, he doesn't defend himself, he doesn't counterattack Daksha, he just simply gets up and leaves. And then when he gets up and leaves, his followers defend him. So they start insulting Daksha and Daksha's followers, and Daksha's followers start insulting Lord Shiva's followers, and it was a whole mess. They started cursing each other, and, you know, this is opposite of, of forgiveness. Uh, so that sacrifice didn't go very well, right? And they, they didn't offer any oblations to Lord Shiva when they were offering him fire. And later on, they were going to have another sacrifice, and this time, again, just like a family squabble, the doctor said, I'm not even going to invite Shiva this time. You know, last time I invited him and there was just this big argument and all this cursing and everything was disturbed, so I'm just not going to even invite him. And Shiva didn't actually care. It didn't matter to him at all. He's just in devotional ecstasy. It was irrelevant to him. So meanwhile, Sati sees that her sisters, she has, I think, 13 sisters, 12, 12 sisters, so her sisters are all going in spaceships to the sacrifice, and she didn't get an invitation. So she didn't really care for herself, but she was very upset that they were invited because she knew that their lack of an invitation was really an insult to her husband. And she was very angry that her father had insulted her husband. 
But she didn't go to her husband like that because she knew if she went to her husband and said, you know, I don't like that you've been insulted, he'd say, just tolerate it. He said, I'm tolerating it, you tolerate it, it's not very important. So instead she went to him and she said, I want to go to the party. Yeah, I want to go to the sacrifice. All my sisters are going, they're all wearing their nicest clothes and their jewelry, and my mother's going to be there, and my aunties, and you know, all the family, and I want to go. I'm going to put on my nice clothes and my jewelry. Pearl said she had jewelry from her father, but not from her husband, because Shiva didn't even give his wife a house. Actually, at one point, he did make a house, and then he had a housewarming party, and then he didn't have any charity to give to the guests. All he had was a house, so he gave his house to the guests. And he still didn't have a house. So he never provided his wife with jewelry. So she said, I'll wear the jewelry given by my father, and I really want to go. And Lord Shiva said, please don't go. He said, if, if you go, you'll be insulted. He said, your family members will insult you, and it will be, he said, it will be like death for you. They said, the insults from your family will be so painful, it will be like death. Please don't go. And she thought, my husband is being so unreasonable. So again, this, this argument between husband and wife goes on even at the level of Shiva and, and Sati. And she thought, you know, he's just being so mean, he just won't let me go. He's just being unreasonable, why won't he listen to me? And she was walking back and forth in the house, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? Finally she was like, well, I'm just going to go. I don't care what he says, I'm just going. So she goes, and as soon as she goes, uh, Lord Shiva's followers follow her to take care of her, to protect her. So especially the ghosts and the hobgoblins, and they all go to make sure that she's going to be taken care of. So she goes, and when she goes, her mother greets her, her sisters greet her, but her father doesn't greet her. Her father ignores her. And she understands that my father's ignoring me out of an insult to my husband. So she wasn't offended for her own sake, but she was very angry that Shiva was ignored. And then she saw that there was no oblations being made to Shiva. So she starts... Um, rebuking her father in front of everybody. She starts saying, you know, you're a fool. You think that Shiv is inauspicious. Actually, he's the most auspicious. He's the greatest of the demigods. How dare you insult him? And then she said, I don't want anything more to do with you. Really, you're so offensive, you should be killed. But I'm not going to kill you. You're my father. Instead, I'm just going to leave the family. So she changed into saffron clothes and she sat down and she started doing yoga and she meditated on the fire in her body and she did what we call spontaneous combustion. Even now there are sometimes people who die from spontaneous combustion, although most of them are not yogis. Most of them are alcoholics. Anyway, she meditated on the... Seriously, most people who are victims of spontaneous combustion are alcoholics. Somehow they must be dis disrupting the fire balance in their body. Uh, medical science has no explanation for spontaneous human combustion. Anyway, so Sati combusted herself. Uh, such a death is not considered ordinary suicide. So, just like there are some countries now, especially in Europe and in some parts of America, that have this, you know, assisted suicide, that if you're really sick and really in pain, that the doctors can inject you with some poison and kill you. So in Vedic times, there were some ways of leaving your body voluntarily that were accepted as not sinful. Normally, suicide is very sinful. 
And if you commit suicide, you become a ghost, and you suffer horribly, and you ghost as, as a ghost for thousands of years, and you finally get a body again, and it's, it's a really horrible thing. We're not supposed to destroy our body. But there are certain ways of leaving the body that are acceptable. And one way is if you're a yogi and you can meditate on a fire and the fire comes out of your own body and burns you up. So then you don't need any physician to assist you. You can just leave your body yourself. Of course, obviously most of us don't have that capacity. So after that, then um, the, the ghosts and hobgoblins, they went to, to attack. And Brigu Muni, one of the great Brahmins there, he offered ablations in the fire. And some other entities came out of the fire and they drove the ghosts and the hot goblins away. So these associates of Shiva came back to Shiva and uh, they told him what happened. They said, you know, your wife was insulted and so she, uh, in mystic fire meditation, she's left her body. So then Lord Shiva, as we see in this slide, he was very angry. How dare you insult my wife so that she dies. And he created a creature, Virabhadra. This Virabhadra went to the sacrificial arena, uh, again followed by Lord Shiva's associates, and they basically destroyed the whole sacrifice and just demolished everything. And then Virabhadra found Daksha, and he couldn't, couldn't kill him. And finally he took the weapon that was going to be used to kill the animals in the sacrifice, and that way he cut off the head of Daksha. And uh, there was one of the, of the sages there who was laughing when Lord Shiva was insulted, so they knocked out his teeth. You know, and it was, it was kind of really gruesome. So then the demigods went to Lord Brahma and they said, okay, this is really a problem. We're doing these sacrifices for Vishnu, and now there's just been this devastation, and Daksha's head's been cut off, and these other people had their teeth knocked down, and the whole sacrificial arena was devastated, and what do we do? So Lord Brahma says, well, you know, Lord Shiva was grieving over the loss of his wife, and, and nobody prevented the insults, so now you're going to have to go to Shiva and apologize. So all of the demigods, uh, and they took the, um, the headless body of Lord Shiva, of Daksha, and they all went to see Lord Shiva. And there, Lord Shiva excused everyone, and he said that you can take the goat that was sacrificed, and you can take the head of that goat and stick it on Daksha's body, and that way you'll bring him back to life, and he can think and speak through the head of a goat. And that's what he did. And with his goat head, he apologized to Lord Shiva. It, it must not have been a really heartfelt apology, because in his next life, he offended Narguni. Quite a punishment, huh? Had to go through the rest of his life with a goat head. Obviously, the story shows that the mind is not the brain, that the mind is something separate from the brain. And then Sati, who's the eternal wife of Lord Shiva, she entered the womb of the wife of the Himalayan mountains, and she took birth as it was called Parvati. And then again, she married Shiva. Now, Lord Shiva is in charge of the destru destruction of the universe. So actually, as soon as he was manifested, uh, he and the other Rudras started destroying the universe, and Lord Ma said, no, not now, not now. 
So he went into meditation. But at the time that the universe is due to be destroyed, that's his function. He's in charge of the mode of ignorance, which is destruction. So there's also the wonderful story of King Sagara. Sagara means ocean. And uh, King Sagara was performing a sacrifice when the uh, horse, the message horse for the sacrifice was stolen. He sent his sons out to look for it. And his sons found the horse of the ashram of Kapilamuni. And they immediately thought, again, without really finding out the situation, oh, here's the thief. Thank you. Here's the thief, here's the thief. And they were so angry at Kapiladev. Here we have another spontaneous combustion story. So these sons of Sagara, they were so angry at Kapiladev that their anger caused their bodies to, to self-combust. And they just turned into little piles of ashes. Uh, so then uh, Sagar's other son rescued the horse and so forth, but they didn't know what to do. Uh, Sagar's grandson wanted to free his uncles, who would be, you know, who would, by offending Kapiladev, didn't have a very auspicious destination after death, and he was told, you have to bring the Ganga. So he tried and failed, and his son tried and failed, and finally Bhagirata performed austerity, so the Ganga decided to come to earth. But she said, when I come from the heavenly planets to the earth, the force of my water will be so great that it will split the earth planet in two. You know, what, what will you do? And uh, Bhagirata then did austerities for Shiva and said to Shiva, will you please act as a breaker to break the, the force of Ganga? And so Ganga then fell on the head of Lord Shiva and then from there to the earth planet. So the Ganges is coming from the feet of Lord Vishnu and the head of Lord Shiva. And it says that Shiva always has Ganges water on his head. And of course, Lord Shiva was very happy to put on his head the water that washes the feet of Lord Vishnu. Worships in Singadev. Yes. Yes.
Well, just like Adi Krishna was explaining this morning, so Lord Shiva is one of the guardians of Vrindavan. He's one of the guardians of the Dham. Because Krishna is very soft and gentle, and especially Krishna in Vrindavan is very soft. So Lord Shiva is protecting all the rascals like me and keeping me out of Vrindavan. So Lord Shiva is one of the gatekeepers. Huh? How come together three people in That's the service he does. That's his service. The service he does for Krishna. Among many other services. I mean, there are other, um, just like we're praying to, to Rinda Devi every day, to Tulsi Devi, please allow us entrance into Vrindavan, please give me a place to live in Vrindavan. So one can certainly also ask Lord Shiva. And the, the tradition is, when, the, when people visit Vrindavan, that they do, or when they circumambulate Govardhan, or you go to Radhikon, you get permission from the deity of Lord Shiva that is in charge of that place. Just like if you go into a building, you know, you first, some fancy building, you first stop at the desk, you know? And you get your ID or whatever to go into the building. <laughs> yes. Oh. Okay. Well, Shiva has an abode in this universe, but he all, in Kailas in this universe. That's where the demigods went. You know, when they were going to ask his forgiveness, when Dakshin got his goat's head. But Shiva also has an abode outside the universe which um, we read a little bit about in Vriya Bhagavatamrita, when Gopa Kumar goes through all the coverings of the universe and he's in the Brahma Jati. And that's it's one of my favorite descriptions of Lord Shiva. That he, he comes and he sees Lord Shiva riding on his bull with Parvati and, and uh, Ganesh and his associates. And he's like, who is this personality who's above liberation but looking like a great hedonist? Shiva has his place there. It's, it's beyond the material world, but it's not in my content. What's the meaning of that place? What's the what? The meaning. The meaning? What do you mean meaning? It's not spiritual world, it's not material world. Well, it's definitely not in the material world. It's the, the, whoever lives there is a liberated soul. They're above the Brahma Jyoti. They're above liberation. But they're devotees of Shiva. So if, if you worship Shiva as the Supreme Lord, you can go there. You're free from all material desires and you worship Shiva as the Supreme Lord. This, is this a temporary place? Or? I don't see how it could be temporary. It's beyond the material coverings. It's beyond the Brahma Jyoti. So it couldn't be a temporary place. This is not the original state of the, the Jiva, right? No, it's not the original state of the Jiva. So how, how can it be permanent? Well, the place is permanent. It's just like the Brahma Jyoti is permanent. But it says that Avasuddha uh, Buddha, that when someone goes to the Brahma Jyoti, generally speaking, they don't stay there. So you could go from Lord Shiva's abode to Vaikuntha. I mean, it's explaining in Bhagavatamrita that the residents of Vaikuntha 
They were traveling through the Brahma Jyoti. They were going to the material world to save those who were remembering the Lord at the time of death. And Lord Shiva's associates saw them. And Gopal Kumar says, who are they? And Ganesh speaks to him to the side and says, you know, these devotees of Lord Shiva, they don't know about Vaikuntha. They're telling him privately about Vaikuntha. It seems that they would sometimes have contact with the residents of Vaikuntha. being on Lord Shiva's head? Uh, the dark Kirk, the moon, and the moon to revert the Kirk, he uh, prayed to Lord Shiva to help him. And Lord Shiva told him he cannot destroy the Kirk of the dark, and then he paid, then he will give him 15 days of gaining, 15 days of gaining. So he will put him in his head to you have it? Although we didn't have any sources. Always best to have sources for your stories. Yes? Uh, can I explain uh, what's the connection between Sada Shiva and Lord Shiva? Is there some difference? Or originals of Shiva? Well, the originals of Shiva is the Shiva who's beyond the material world. And Lord he's, What? Lord Narayan? Well, he's, a, he's an expansion of, he's a changed expansion of Lord Narayan. And he's the glance of the Lord, who then activates the material energy. Who exists before the creation of the material world. Then there's the expansion of Shiva, who appears as the son of Lord Brahma within the world. But the son of Shiva, he's beyond the world. I, I find Shiva very difficult to understand because he's, you know, when we talk about how Krishna doesn't enjoy matter, but as Shiva, he does enjoy matter. But as soon as he enjoys matter, he's not Vishnu anymore. He's, he's Shiva. Yes? I heard that as devotees, we should not suppose to take Mahaprasadam, which was from Shiva. Only if you consider him as a 
great devotee, then you can take. Why we should not take one prasad and pursue other ones? Well, you can, you, can, you can offer food to Krishna and then offer the prasadam to Shiva and then take that prasadam. Shiva temples. The fish can take from there. But the devotee is considering... Well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I mean, Lord Balaram and Lord Chaitanya visited temples of demigods. So we're not supposed to... It's one of the angas of bhakti not to disrespect the demigods. But yeah, we should see them as devotees, not as independent lords. We can see them as guru. I mean, Shiva's one of the leaders of one of the sampradayas. So we worship guru. Guru is a jiva, yes? Our gurus are jivas, yes? Anybody have God as their guru? So our gurus are jivas. If we think that they're independent gods, Sakshadari Twaina, we respect them as much as God, but we don't think they are God. So one can respect Shiva and Brahma as Guru. But the problem is if you treat them as independent gods, they don't like it. Krishna doesn't like that and they don't like that. You follow? They also they also feel offended by that. It's not their. It's not their position. Yes. Uh, so when Krishna fought uh, with Shiva, so let's suppose that uh, Shiva wins. What would happen then? Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Every battle that Krishna has with Shiva, Krishna wins. But it's friendly fighting. It's like um, who are those sisters in tennis? Williams, the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus, I think. Yeah, okay. So, you know, they fight for the tournament, but it's friendly, and they, I'm sure they really fight. You follow? Yeah. I'm sure it's not like, well, it's my sister. I'll just like kind of hit the ball. I'm sure they really put their energy into winning. Otherwise, nobody would watch it. But it's still friendly. They're not enemies. So when, when Shiva is fighting with Krishna, it's, it's friendly. Even though they're really fighting. I'm sure the Shiva devotees have some story where Shiva wins. You know, the Shiva devotees, they have their own scriptures where Shiva is supreme and where he always wins. But at least in, in Bhagavatam, the Puranas and, and Sattvagam, we don't have any, any story like that. Of course, sometimes when Krishna fights with the coward boys, he loses. Balaram has a team, Krishna has a team, and Balaram's team wins, and Krishna's team loses. Krishna loses sometimes when he has arguments with the gopis. There's a really funny story in Ananda Vrindavan Champu when Krishna's playing holy with the gopis, and then he, he's tired, so he lies down, and the, and the gopis steal his. His uh, 
device for squirting the colored water and, you know, his flower bombs, like that. And then they start to take his ornaments and right away. He's like, don't do that. And then she goes and she's cleaning him up with the colors. And then Madamango says, oh, Krishna's one. That's why Radharani's serving him like a maidservant. But of course he didn't when he lost. So everybody was very pleased that Madhu Mangal turned it around to say that Krishna won and Radharani was so happy she gave him her necklace. That's in the end of her daughter Jampu. So sometimes Krishna loses to his devotees. Anything else? Because in the in the Rudra Sampradaya, which is now Nimbarka, they're all worshippers of Radha Krishna. They don't have a lot of numbers. They're mostly situated in Vrindavan. So it's a small, in numbers, they're very small sampradaya. But they're all worshippers of Radha Krishna. Unlike, say, the Sri Sampradaya, who's worshippers of Vashnamurani. But they had different roles. And the Sankaracharya wasn't coming as Shiva, he was coming as a as if he were an ordinary person in the world. He had a different mission. But Sankaracharya had a, his mission was to bring people ultimately to Krishna because there's you know steps. So people first they had they'd been killing animals in the name of the Vedas, and you had Buddha to stop the animal slaughter, but he stopped the animal slaughter by throwing out the Vedas completely. He said, don't follow the Vedas. So Sankaracharya reestablished the Vedas with an almost Buddhist philosophy. And then once the Vedas were reestablished, then Madhvacharya and Ramanujacharya and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu could establish the real teachings of the Vedas once people began accepting the Vedas. So it's kind of going here to go there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Shubhra Bhatti Jai.